You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I'm giving up on Twitter, I think. I don't think I ever want to tweet about the White Sox again because I think that my point is constantly lost whenever I do it. And then I'm just annoyed until I can get to the show and explain what I meant. I'm not built for it. Is it because you're too subtle or is it because you're um, speaking truth and much like Daniel Caffey and A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth? Well, Well, here's the thing. First of all, I hate social media. I know that people find this show on like your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter. I hate it. All right, because anytime you go on social media, it immediately tries to force feed you like all the bad in the world, things that trend. And then you look at it and you go, nobody cares about this, but Twitter cares about it. So they just force it upon you. And then I'm always in a bad mood afterwards. But during Saks games, when I'm getting annoyed about something, it's like my my easiest outlet. And I said after the second game in Colorado that Tony La Russa still has a negative impact on the team. And I I believe that. Now, the responses are along the lines of, Kendall Graveman lost that second game. Listen, Kendall Graveman sucked. That was a terrible ninth inning. 100%. It was ball four, ball eight, ball 10. I think he threw 10 straight balls out of the zone before he got one. Ball 16. Yeah, it was was like that moment in Major League with Bob Euchre. Ball four, ball eight, ball 12. Like, that's what it was. It was awful to watch. It was excruciating. But... Even though Graveman loses the game, LaRusa doesn't do his team any favors in that second game of the series. You had a day off on Monday, you have a day off on Thursday. And Larry Garcia's playing center field. Over the last 14 games, Adam Engel hits better. Over the season, Adam Engel's 150 points higher in his OPS. And defensively, he's far greater than Garcia. But even if Garcia is the only option, let's say Adam Engel was like, I, I don't have it today, coach. Right? I, I don't know what happened. Uh, I got nothing. Yeah. Right. I stayed up all night playing video games. I had blurred vision. Right? I, who knows? What Whatever excuse there is. This this team's full of guys that can't go two days in a row. I think Adam Angle wants to play every day. And if I were him, I'd be sitting on the bench going, why am I not out there? Because I'm out playing this guy day in, day out. But but Tony loves him. Like, it would aggravate me if I were Adam Angle at this point. And I was ready to go in that second game. And Garcia's in center field. But even if those were the only three guys that you could use in the outfield between Pollock and Garcia and Vaughn, you put a guy with a negative four runs saved, meaning he's given teams four runs over his career playing center field. You put that guy in center field over Pollock, who saved 28 runs in center field, that's the metric, in his career, and won a gold glove there. Like, if those were the only three guys that were available, I don't get it. Now, that didn't lose you the game, but you have to wonder... Did it have some sort of negative impact? I say it could have. Could have cost you a run. Could have cost you something at the plate. May not have made any kind of difference. Jose Ruiz in the seventh inning out there, a guy with one of the highest walks and hits per innings pitched on the team. He's one of the worst pitchers for keeping guys off base on the team. He's out there for the seventh and immediately you're like, well, he must be all that's available. Well, guess what? Jimmy Lambert was available. Three pitches in that series for three outs. And, and you know what else? He's got a 1.19 whip. There's like three guys on this team that are better than Jimmy Lambert at keeping guys off base so far this season. 
And you're, you're not even using the guy because you're in love with Jose Ruiz. The, the organization's in love with a guy who, for his career, is bad at keeping guys off base. If you're bad at keeping guys off base, you are a shaky relief pitcher at best and definitely should never be used in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. That cost you at least one run. That put a little bit more pressure on Graveman. Did it lose the game? I don't know, but I know it gave a negative impact, and that's the point I'm trying to make when I get aggravated at Tony La Russa. I don't know how many games he's lost you, but I know he hasn't won you any games. And I know he has enough of a negative impact that he's cost you a few of them along the road here in this season where we're sitting at 500 and we should be a much better team in the standings. I think what's happened with that specifically with the Tony stuff is everyone just sort of assumes that if you're saying anything negative about Tony La Russa, that you're just dragging up the initial response to his hiring, which was, He's old, he doesn't get it, he doesn't belong here, A.J. Hinch would have been better. But I supported his hiring, Ed. I actually argued with the guy that used to sit in your chair here at the bar. I argued with him. He quit the show because of it. And I said, I think this guy could be a positive. Let's give him a chance. I was in his corner. Right, and that's that's what I'm saying, is is that you're, you're, you're not saying that the hire was bad because on its face it didn't make sense. What you're saying is, looking objectively... At that game, that one game, and what Tony did and the moves he made and with the other opportunities that were there to be made, given everything that's going on in context, especially knowing that they have just gotten over 500 and this is an opportunity for them to take a jump ahead and actually get themselves back on the winning side of things kind of for good for the season, for him to roll out a guy who probably shouldn't be playing center field when he's got other options for him to be rolling out pitchers that, you know, are, are not guys that are necessarily best suited to the, the situation that they're put in when there's other guys available. Like I get, you know, if you're looking at it and saying, well, we would have normally used Ronaldo Lopez in that situation, but you know, he's got a bad back right now. So we're trying to nurse that along and not throw him on the IL. That That's fine. Okay. Injuries happen. But your point about Lambert being there is that, you know, that's a guy that Tony should be relying on because statistically, Jimmy Lambert's having a great year. Tony is not the worst possible manager for the White Sox. I will contend. There are other people that I would rather not have managed the White Sox, like this guy. Hey, it's Roy again, White Sox and base. Like I said, no, you center field always in first, like Tim, Adam Engel, Tim Harrison, Lewis Robert. Thou, your center field always hit first, second baseman. Always hit second. Third baseman, always hit third. First base, always hit fourth. Yeah, that, that's that, your cleanup that's hitting a spot. Terrible, terrible Bad idea. Catchers always hit fifth <laughs> and always give you production in fifth hole. Yeah, okay, we're done with that one. So that guy um, that guy shouldn't be managing. There are people worse no. <laughs> than Tony LaRussa to manage this team. This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions for Boeing Walls, Window Wells, Foundation Crack Repair, the concrete going up and down on the patio, the driveway, you name it. They could fix that. Perfect time of the year to do it. And uh, they can do it without messing up the driveway and the sidewalk and the patio. Sump pumps, gutter cleaning, you name it. They keep water out of the home and protect it for you 24-7. Give them a call. 708-330-4466. Mention socks in the basement. You get money off. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. And if you want to leave us a voice message, you can do that 
at SocksInTheBasement.com. There's a little microphone. You click on it, and you can leave us a message. I'm going to play one more for you. Uh, let's see if this one's a little better. Hey, guys. Dean and Lyle watching the White Sox is like a car uh, stuck in second gear. Um, hitters have no no reps whatsoever, which is frustrating to watch. Spark that they need, and I've been saying this for a long time, is Benintendi. Imagine a lineup, TA leading off, Benintendi in left, Robert hitting third, center field, Abreu at first base, Grandel catching, hitting fifth, Vaughn and keep him in right field, hitting sixth, seventh, Moncada, eighth, a combination of your DHs, Jimenez, Sheets, or Pollock, whoever's hot. Pollock, I agree with you guys, should get traded, should go back over to possibly the Dodgers, pick up some young players. Number nine, Harrison, and keep him at second base. Kansas City's going to ask for a lot. No, actually, they didn't ask for a lot. There was not they very much, much did they? not very much given up by the Yankees for Ben Attendee. That was not a bad idea. The Sox could have beaten the Yankees' price, I think, with what they had. They clearly weren't interested in him. But it, trade deadline's coming up here. August the 2nd. I, I kept thinking it was the 31st, but it's a little different because of the lockout this year. August the 2nd yeah. is the Yeah, is a couple the days added to it. But. Yeah, but I look, I, I, I think and I continue to believe not only do the White Sox have some pieces they could move around and maybe kind of remake this team, and they really have to remake it just slightly because if Jimenez is only a DH and you're going to make Grandal sit in the DH hole as well, I mean, that. That, what a mess that was. You couldn't play Aloy Jimenez in that second game. That's another thing. that it, it, I understand he wants to keep him out of the outfield, but wow. I mean, you have, a, you have a real logistical problem right now with your roster. There are things that need to be done. I'm curious to see if it'll be more than just a guy in the bullpen. And when they go get that guy in the bullpen, DFA Jose Ruiz. I'm done with him. I don't understand why they're not. Well, Jose Ruiz is going to become the new Larry Garcia here for the second half if they keep him around because... There's a love affair with Jose Ruiz based on what none of us really know. But the, the Benintendi thing is is interesting because he's a guy that filled so many checkboxes coming into the season. I, I mentioned Benintendi last year when we were talking about trying to find a left-handed bat for this team. And the idea that he could reconnect on his career, get out of Boston, uh, where he had started to falter, and could turn back into a guy that's you know, that's a very useful part of a team. He was kind of the ideal trade target. And you're right. I think the Sox could have gone and beat the Yankees price-wise. But then is that something where you don't, oh, we don't want to put our good prospects or our, our potential valuable pieces in the hands of the Royals because that's just going to come back to bite us because they're an AL Central opponent. Or is it something that, you know, Rick is really convinced that this lineup, this team, this roster – is well enough constructed that all he needs to do is just fix the fact that we've had a couple of ouchies in the bullpen and we got to, you know, we got to shore that up because Joe Kelly's hurt again. You haven't had Garrett Crochet. You haven't had Aaron Bummer recently. So we need to go get a lefty. We need to go get, you know, a, another arm. Uh, and that's all it is. You know, we're, we're one or two players away. I would contend that you're maybe one or two players away if you are talking about filling an injury spot. But the fact that we're talking about Benintendi, the fact that we're talking about potentially needing a bullpen arm or two, the fact that we're talking about potentially needing a starting pitcher, the fact that we're talking about still possibly needing a second baseman, tells me that this team is not one player away from getting back into contention this year. That the team was not, it was flawed from the get-go because there wasn't enough depth. And you and I have hit that depth button a number of times. There wasn't enough depth to make up for the injuries. And 
as fans, we're looking at it going, I wish I had Andrew Benintendi, but it would also be great to go out and get a starter. Th- this is not a team that's ready to win a World Series if we're talking about trying to find four or five guys at a trade deadline. Ed, when you get down to the ballpark, and I've got a couple of games circled here coming up in August that I'm going to be at, get over the cork and carry at the park. Uh, 33rd in Princeton, Shadow of the Ballpark, award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. I know you like the one that's got the egg on it. I want to say it's a, it's like an Irish bur. It's really good. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. I'm a big fan of that uh, that Latin burger that they have over there. Also fantastic. Yeah, yeah I mean, like it, it's got enough spice that it's fun. But, uh, you know, I can eat it and not feel like I had way too much that was way too hot and it's going to it's going to weigh me down. Plus, they've got all kinds of ballpark favorites. You bring in the kids in before the game. There's indoor outdoor seating, a big, beautiful bar, rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits and wines. They are your home base for White Sox pregame, postgame and viewing parties. They are the home of the podcast for fans by fans. Sox in the basement. Check them out, 33rd in Princeton, in the shadow of the ballpark, and learn more at corkandcarry.com. All right, two things before we get to our corn in the basement segment, because I am curious as what is going on in the minor leagues. And maybe, maybe I'm even more curious because I was trying to look at this team through the prism of what could they fix right now that would give them some sort of an advantage. Right now, at this moment, even with Robert still on the IL, and man, I hope he starts feeling better soon. I I mean, I thought there were positive things, and now all of a sudden he's still dizzy. You know, who knows when this is going away. That's that's not only frightening for the team, but it's frightening for Luis Robert. So hopefully uh, that gets under control because that's got to be a little scary for him. And uh, right now the White Sox are, are going to deal with a problem in the outfield of a really good defensive player not there and a manager that, for some reason, thinks Garcia is a center fielder. Even Steve Stone makes fun of it. If you listen to the broadcast when Garcia's in the outfield, he makes fun of him. He said several times, that's not a center fielder. But right away off the bat, I would say if you fix that problem where you said Angle's going to be playing center field pretty much every day, that's what he should be doing until Robert gets back. And, and you've got to figure out your catcher situation. Reese McGuire, you're gone the moment that we have guys coming off the IL that can rejoin this team, whether it be Jake Berger or hopefully very soon, Luis Robert. And then you let go of Jose Ruiz and you could bring up right now, right now, you're looking for a left-handed pitcher. You got a guy down in AAA with a 2.67 ERA, a 1.185 whip. We've actually heard them talk about it on Corn in the Basement. Michael Suero, I think, has brought him up before over 25 appearances. Hunter Shriver is doing very well out of the pen, and he's a lefty relief pitcher. You can clear a spot on the 40-man by DFAing Jose Ruiz, and now all of a sudden you've got a lefty pitcher. They won't do it. I would do it. What am I? I'm just a guy in my basement. It's now time for corn in the basement. Let's go. And it's now time for Corn in the Basement. Joining us from Saxon 35th, Michael Suero. Take it away, Michael. Thanks, Chris. Well, a few weeks ago, I talked about Oscar Cola uh, when he made the uh, All-Star Futures games. And I believe I mentioned back then that it wasn't going to be long before he got called up to Double A Birmingham. Well, lo and behold, finally in Double A, he's been up there for about eight games now as we're recording this. And man, he has been on an absolute tear. So far in eight games, he's got five home runs, 
two multi-home run games. He's got a 455 batting average, an OPS of just under 1,500, and all reports are saying his defense has been even better than advertised as well. I know they've shifted him over to right field since calling him up, but in high A Winston-Salem, he was playing mostly center field. He even made a highlight reel catch at the All-Star Futures games with a diving grab. So his stock is shooting through the roof right now. We're looking at the possibility of trades as the deadline approaches. If the White Sox go to add, are there names you expect to have involved in deals? Yeah, so I've got a group of a few prospects who I think they all have some similar value in trade talks. And I think if the Sox wants to make any sort of meaningful trade, one of them's probably going to end up going. So that group includes Lenin Sosa, Yolki Saspides, Norge Vera, and Brian Ramos. You trade one of those guys, you can get someone who will improve this team. Is there a name that's going to make you upset if you hear they've been traded away by the White Sox in the next couple of days? I would be very disappointed if the White Sox traded Colson Montgomery. It, it might require him to get a guy like a, like a pitcher like Frankie Montas or Luis Castillo. Personally, I would hold off on that point. I just think that his talent level is too valuable that if you're not getting a superstar with multiple years of control, I just don't think it's worth trading him. There's Michael Suero. Check him out, everything he writes about the minor leagues and all kinds of White Sox coverage at SoxOn35th.com. Thanks a lot, my friend. All right, thanks for having me, Chris. It's always a pleasure. Is there anybody in the minor leagues that you're afraid the White Sox are going to deal at? That I'm afraid they're going to deal? You know... No, because I don't. I, I'm not attached to prospects that the Sox have right now. I, you know, there's some there's some talent there, sure, but I really honestly think that when this current group starts to break up, you're going to look at another full on rebuild, and I don't think some of these prospects are really going to be the guys that are going to step in and continue on the legacy of of destruction that has been wrought by the 2020, 2021, and 2022 Chicago White Sox. I really do think that this is going to be another another flip job, basically, when, when this team starts to break up, whether that's, you know, coming sooner or later. So, no, I, there's nobody – I wouldn't say anybody right now is untouchable, it, it, just for me. I just don't want any rentals. And Michael Suero brought to you by the village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure. Visit the village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and check out all they have to offer and what's going on this weekend at lamontdowntown.com. All right, you wanted to compare this team right now, and I find it interesting what you just said. You wanted to compare this team right now to the team that was on the field for the White Sox before the rebuild began. I have not thought of it as you're going to have to blow it all up again and go through another rebuild. You just upset me. I'm going to be upset all day after what you just said. Uh, good thing you're sitting at a bar. Oh, man, I'm upset. Pour me another drink. Like, I'm I'm upset even hearing that. Like, in my mind, I feel like you can tweak, you can extend, you've got a lot of guys under control. I don't think you need to blow it all up again. But take me through it because you keep reminding me this is an old team and that there's too many similarities to right now and what would it have been, 2015, 2016? So the 2016 Sox, right? That, that winter, after the 2016 season, that's when Chris Sale and Adam Eaton are traded. Quintana follows in the, in the, at the deadline in the 2017 season. You know, I'm, I'm looking at baseball reference, and what you have as you're looking at the lineups and you're looking at the pitching rotation is Jose Abreu, surrounded by 
a veteran catcher, a young veteran infielder, a couple of your your young prospects that are coming up, and uh, you know another another young veteran or two that you're building around, right? That that's the core. Those are the guys that are going to carry you through, and then you've got some other veterans filling in, and then you've got a rotation that's built around three young aces that that are that are in their prime you know, or, or even a little bit younger with some veteran guys filling in around them to, to pick up the slack and a fairly veteran bullpen with some youngsters that are contributing here and there, but are not necessarily the primary guys. Which team did I just describe to you? I'll be honest with you. When I think of the two younger controllable pitchers at that time, which are what sale and Quintana, right? That year was sale Quintana and Carlos Rodon made 28 starts that year. All right, so those are your three guys, and I would have taken those three guys in that season over Cease, Giolito, and, well, I don't know. I mean, well, here, I like Cease and Kopech. I, 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 Giolito, Giolito at this point, it used to be, can we sign him? Now it's like, do we want to? Right, I know. <laughs> Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. We're talking about the makeup, okay? So uh, around the, the team, you're building around at that time. Now, Bray is still fairly new to the team, uh, but he's he's a veteran guy. He's 29 in, in 2016. You had brought in Brett Lawrie as a young veteran player. Tim Anderson's 23. He's he, This is basically his arrival. Avisail Garcia is 25. A guy that would have kept everything intact, I think, in your right field position. If you would have picked him up at any time here, you could have brought him back. I don't know why you hated him so much. Adam Eaton is obviously there as well. And then you've got guys like Tyler Saladino's 26 and had uh, heavy contributions. Omar Narvaez is there. Larry Garcia is only 25. He's a guy that they're counting on kind of as the future. Yolmer Sanchez. Early Larry. That's when you fall in love with him. Then, then you can't get out of the relationship for like 20 years. But that's that's when Larry had some promise, right? So but you've got a team that their average age in 2016 is 28.2 years old. And now the average age of the team is? On average, a year older. They're 29.3 years old. But you have, like you said, you've got three young pitchers that you're building around with some veterans. You've got young veterans, guys like Tim Anderson, Yohan Moncada, who are surrounding some of your younger guys like Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn. And you still have Jose Abreu, though, an older version of him. And you're filling in with some other veterans. And and that's, that's, you know, coming out of the rebuild, I think everybody sort of had this idea that this was going to be a super young, hungry team, right? That everybody was going to be, you know, youthful and and we're going to have a bunch of 25-year-olds and on down, maybe some 27 or 28-year-olds. Everybody's going to be in their prime. But coming out of the rebuild, this is what we're sitting at is is a 
you know, not a young, necessarily a young team. And you just wonder, is this core, this group of guys, is that a better core than what there was in 2016 when this organization said, this team cannot win a World Series as constructed. We're going to tear it down and start fresh. And that's that's becoming a, a little bit more of a worry for me is if the 2016 team that looks a lot like this one, you can argue a little bit more about the talent, and I didn't look at the contracts to you know fully flesh out control and stuff like that, but look at how somebody like Yohan Moncada is struggling and hasn't delivered on what we thought he was going to be. Look at how hard it's been for Aloy Jimenez to stay on the field, and, and you, you can't rely on him as much as you'd like to. I, I do have concerns that is this going to be what Rick Hahn's vision was of year after year, we're going to bring guys in and bring guys up and have young, youthful influx that is going to continue on to make us a competitive team going forward when this is what you're stuck with. And, and I'll draw you another parallel, though. This is a team that was very successful for one season, was built around a rebuilt core, average age, 30.3 years old, and won a World Series somewhat unexpectedly, but completely expectedly because they had gone through a teardown rebuild and had come around and, and ridden their young core and some key veterans onto a World Series title. And that is? The 2016 Cubs. First off, I think you, you're a little hard on Yuan Moncada, okay? If you split his season in half, his second half of games that he's played to this point are really good, okay? And the yellow shoes, I think, are making all the difference. They really are. I will say the yellow, it plays, man. Well, you know, when he stands out there with the yellow, he's got the yellow shoes, got the yellow the yellow gloves, but then he's got a very light-colored bat. The bat blends into the hands. He he has to be unnerving, especially on day games. You know, it, Ooh, it, it's yeah. just too bright that, for the pitcher. I, I really, like, I think that it's got to be just unnerving to have him standing there with all that yellow at, at the very ends of him. Like, he's got sunshine shooting out of his fingers and his toes. It's it's crazy. I think he's he's throwing the pitchers off when he's up there or whatever it is. I'm glad. I'm glad that he's, he's hitting better. Jimenez... The, the problem with Jimenez is that Grandal exists on the team. And you, if you can't put Jimenez in left, then you have a massive problem on days where you think that Yasmani should be in the lineup as the DH because you can't have two DHs. And so that, that becomes a really big problem for this team. And you saw that in the second game against the Rockies. You, you, he needs to be able to go out there. Look, I think... If you compare the 2016 team to this team, I think this team is still better. I still think this team has a better core. I still think this team can be built off of instead of blown up. But again, it's hard to see that with all the injuries. It's hard to see that with the way they came out of the gate. And the other the other issue is this. The, the manager doesn't fit what you said right there. Bringing in young talent and bringing in that excitement and continuously having a couple guys come up every year because he's got the opinion of you're not getting any playing time, Rook. Go sit on the bench. He he doesn't do that. He he becomes extremely loyal to players that are not good enough to be on the field. And he sits guys for weird reasons that I've never been able to understand. So I don't think he fits what the team was built to be. And I think anybody who's been paying attention over the last couple of years understands, well, that's probably why Rick Hahn probably didn't want him. All right. The, the owner put him in there. He doesn't fit. And what we're seeing here, I mean, look, if they were winning, we wouldn't notice any of this. 
We wouldn't care, but they're losing. So all of these things that we talked about as the possible downfalls of the White Sox, when it came to bringing Larusa in as the manager, we're now watching it happen, right? You can see all those things, the disconnect, the, the way that the roster doesn't seem to be used in the way that it was probably constructed to be used. And trust me, some of this is on Rick Hahn. Or the moment that Rick realized what he had and that he was stuck with him for three years, he's got he's to make decisions with his roster. He's got to understand that, first of all, Tony's going to play everybody. He's all of a sudden going to look at that guy who's the 26th man and say, go out there and start in this big game against a division rival. So you better be comfortable with whatever he sends out there. And there's a couple of guys on this roster that you either gave a really long contract to for no reason like Garcia or you're in love with like Ruiz because he had in the middle of his, like I think he had something like 60 games where he had a whip uh, near two. And then he had about 50 games where he was a really effective relief pitcher, but he wasn't put in a lot of high leverage situations. And now you see Tony using him. And the way that Tony uses him, he's back to being a terrible pitcher who can't keep guys on base because he's sitting out there pitching in the seventh and the eighth inning, who sometimes doesn't make any sense because everybody has to have rest. And there's some sort of law uh, that north of the Mason-Dixon line, you can't pitch two days in a row. I, I, I believe it was passed sometime during the offseason. The only person observing it is Tony LaRusso. So there is something to Rick Hahn and how he, he has constructed his team. And if he believes in his heart of hearts that Tony will finish out this three-year deal that we've heard is reported that he actually has, then it's up to Rick to craft whatever needs to be crafted to tweak however he tweaks it to understand this is my manager and he is not going to change. So I have to have the guys out there on this team that even if he does something crazy, they all at least make sense. And you've got a couple of guys on this team that don't make sense for the manager. So I I would like at the trade deadline to see tweaking. I would like no rental players. And I would like there to be something that makes more sense for management to manager to team. Because there is that disconnect and it is having a negative impact. I don't know how many games we're losing because of it, but a negative impact on the outcome for the White Sox, who are again sitting at 500. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.